Welcome to the podcast of Leeds First Methodist Church. We are so glad you decided to tune in with us today. The following sermon entitled, My Dearly Loved Son, was preached by Pastor Chris. If you would like to watch the entire worship service, you can do so by visiting our website at leadsfirst.org. And at the top of the page, go to Worship and click Online Worship. Good morning, my name is Chris Stallings. It's my privilege to get to be pastor here at Leeds First Methodist Church. Uh, I usually uh, preach Sunday morning sermons in a series. A series is just a few weeks of sermons that add together to cover a topic more uh, exhaustively or in more depth. Uh, We cover topics that talk about inviting folks to put their faith in Jesus, talking about topics that would cast a vision for what our church is or what it might be, or topics are kind of the core doctrine of our faith. Occasionally, I will do what I'm doing last week and this week, which is what I call standalone sermons, where we take just one week and talk about a topic and then move on to the next week. And our topic today is my dearly loved son. I try to get creative. I don't know if it worked and my band mates wouldn't sing the song. Last Sunday's topic was carry on and today is my dearly loved son and some of y'all might get the connection to a really old song carry on my anyway and we couldn't get the band to sing along with me and they wouldn't let me sing it by myself y'all remember that carry on my wayward son anyway (sighs) carry on my dearly loved son Have you ever struggled to do the right thing? Nobody? Both hands, foot up in the air, right? (laughs) Both feet up in the air. Me, me, me. Right? Tempted to take the money you saw that wasn't yours. They'll never know that's missing. To have physical intimacy with someone that's not your spouse or not yet to deceive to gossip to slander another person to help yourself or even just to do it to get back at them doing the right thing is hard one of our former presidents was known as honest Abe do y'all remember that Abe Lincoln president Before he was president, it's reported he was a lawyer. It's pretty good to have the nickname Honest Abe if you're a lawyer. God help us if there's any lawyers. I don't mean I'm talking about you, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean, right? Like, anyway. But the legend has it, before he was president, before he was a lawyer, he ran a general store. He ran it with utmost in honesty, right? Got the nickname. It's reported that one night or one afternoon he was counting out the cash box or cash register, whatever they had that day, and noticed there was a few pennies over, like he had extra. And he got to thinking about it. And he recalled, oh, I think I gave that person the wrong change or the wrong bill. And he closed the store down and walked the three miles to her house to return the few pennies that he had overcharged her. Honest Abe. 
The Bible teaches that we have within us the capacity to do right. Right? The Bible teaches that we were created in God's image. Right? It's a big blessing that you've been created in God's image. But since the fall of humanity, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we've all inherited a sin nature and we've all sinned in that. And so that separates us from the, the purity or the rightness of the image of God in us. And so doing right or living up to that image of God in us can be difficult. Especially when we can gain something from doing wrong, like gain extra money in our pocket, right? Or if doing right is hard, right? It's a challenge to do the right thing. People might mock us or we have a price to pay otherwise. But what we do once we often do again and what we do enough times become a habit and what our habits become our character right that becomes who we are I once heard that the definition of good character is doing what's right even when no one is watching so in you, in me, in us, the image of God persists. The possibility of doing right, of being of good character exists. And God's will is that we would be restored to that image of God in us. But to know or to be able to be restored to that, we've got to know what the image of God looks like. We must know what God is from what he's shown us primarily revealed in Scripture. We need to know God's true colors to know what we might be created or restored to his image. And so we're going to look at a, a passage today that would give us a glimpse into that process God used to reveal himself to humanity. If you got your Bible or your app for the Bible, I invite you to open it or to turn it on to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. That's in the New Testament, second book of the New Testament, Matthew, and then Mark. We're going to read Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. I'm reading the New Living Translation, or the NLT, if you want to follow along, word for word. Mark 9, verse 2 reads, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly be bleach, <laughs> beach, they're white too, right? Any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Verse 5, Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Verse 7, then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. 
As they went back down the mountain, Jesus told them not to tell anyone what he, they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. If you've got a, a printed Bible or maybe in your app, the heading for this passage is entitled The Transfiguration or The Transfiguration of Jesus. And it's a parallel to the events recorded in Matthew chapter 17. And it gets that term transfiguration from verse 2 where it says the appearance of Jesus was transformed or other English trans. Galatians say he was transfigured. And that comes from the Greek New Testament term metamorphothi. Metamorphothi. It kind of sounds like metamorphosis, right? So we get that word from this. Or changed. And it means to take on a different physical form or appearance. Metamorphothi. Metamorphothi. You see, when Jesus lived on earth... He was 100% human. And so if you walked up to Jesus, you wouldn't instantly say, oh, there's God, just by looking at him. Human. But we see God revealed in him through his teaching, through his miracles, and ultimately in his resurrection. But in this moment that we call the transfiguration, God used that moment to reveal the divinity or what Jesus looked like in his 100% God state to Peter, James, and John. Word studies of the New Testament, a book that talks about biblical terms, says about transfiguration. It's a foreshadowing or a prophecy of Jesus' true form. His distinctive character comes out in his transfiguration. That same truth is illustrated later in Mark chapter 16, 12, where it says that Jesus appeared to them in a different form after his resurrection. And so it's a glimpse to those people that were closest to Jesus to see a bit more of his divinity, of his God nature. And so we're going to look at a little bit about how God reveals himself to people and what that looks like. So there's, you get an extra point today. Super Bowl weekend, so we're going for the extra point. We've got four points today. So if you got your outline, I invite you to take it out. Fill in these blanks. It may help you remember and apply it to your life. Number one, God appearing to humans is called a theophany. Theophany. I'll give you a minute to spell that. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. Theophany. Theophany. In this passage, we see that verse 9 when it says, Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son. So we see the revelation of God's voice and the God the Son, God the Father's voice and God the Son presence shown to the people. We see that in a number of places in the Bible. The next slide shows some of that. You write these down if you want to. But 
some examples of this. If you read throughout the Old Testament, God started early showing himself to his creation. In Genesis 12, verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram, or who we later know as Abraham, and said, I will give this land to your descendants. God showed up and told Abraham, I got you and I'm going to give you this land. Genesis 26 says, The Lord appeared to Isaac on the night of his arrival and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Genesis 28, verse 13. I am the Lord, the God of your father, or grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, when he was talking to Jacob. And maybe in one of the most famous ones, Exodus 3, the Lord saw Moses coming. Let's take a closer look. And God called to him from the burning bush. Y'all remember the story of the burning bush? Like God revealed himself to Moses and gave him the instruction to go and free the people, the Israelites, from enslavement in Egypt. And so God, throughout Scripture, we have the record of him revealing himself in his voice, in his presence to the people that would record that. And we have that in Scripture. The next point will help us to know what it's like to experience the presence of God. Either in a first-hand encounter or even in the record of it in Scripture. What that experience is like. So number two, encountering God can be baffling. Encountering God can be baffling. Mark 9 verse 5 says, Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And if you look to verse 6, it says he didn't even know what to say. He's just doing something, right? This effort to say let us build some shelters is Peter's bringing in what was known as the festival of shelters. It was started back in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, I think chapter 23, where they got instructed and says do this annually, a festival of shelters where they take some tree branches and make like a, a fort. No, they probably didn't make a You know, like anybody build a fort when you're a kid out of tree branches and stuff? A lean-to, I think they call it. And they would go out of their encampment or city and stay in those for this week as a reminder of how God had delivered them and they'd traveled through the wilderness when their ancestors were freed from Egypt. And so it was a, a regular thing they'd done for hundreds, thousands of years. And so Peter's like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to do something religious. Let's go build a festival of shelters, right? Because <laughs> God's there. And so the Bible, a little bit making fun of Peter's like, he didn't even know what to do. He's just trying to do something and do it appropriate. And it points to when you encounter God, it can be baffling, right? You're just going along, going along, and then boom, God shows up and it's baffling. You ever been baffled by something in your life? A little bit overwhelmed? Meet somebody famous? Done something important? Like, wow, this is, I don't know what to do in this moment. I had that moment on my wedding day. Anybody ever been married? A couple of y'all? Alright, good, good. Um, wedding days are a big deal. Right? You build them up. You, you make the plans for the date. You send out the invitations. You get the, the church or the pastor. You get the reception set up. And the bride you, and her family usually does most of that and planning and the cost of that. But it's a big deal. But you know what the most baffling or biggest deal to me in that 
the date of the wedding and feel the impact of the wedding vows. Do y'all remember those? Those are big. Like you're saying, we're together, right? And when I got to that point, it all sort of hit me, <laughs> you know? Like, I can't believe she talked to me, <laughs> right? I can't believe she went out with me. I can't believe she's, now she's saying she's going to be with me the rest of my life. And it was like, whoa, you know, you weak need and stuff. And so I remember the, the preachers giving you, they give you the, you just only have to say like three or four words at a time. It's not that hard, but it was hard. My little lip was quivering. <laughs> I yes, you know. And they said, people like, did you not mean it? We could barely hear you. I said, well, I could barely say it, you know. Take the fair, you know. It was overwhelming. It's just a glimpse of the magnitude of what it's like to experience God. You might have had a big thing in your life, but that's nothing compared to when you truly experience God. Those that experienced God's presence, right? When God showed up, feel overwhelmed. I felt that some in my journey with God last year, even this week, is the one year anniversary of what they called the Asbury Outpouring. Where Asbury University in Kentucky, some students were at the school's regularly weekly chapel and just stayed. So we're going to keep worshiping God. There's something going on in us. And so they stayed and like two weeks later it's still going, right? They said 70,000 people came through that chapel over the course of that time just to be a part of what God was doing. People repenting of their sin, dedicating their lives to God and to ministry and just all that. And I didn't go, but I was watching glimpses of it. I was feeling what God was doing. I remember those mornings where it was just overwhelming. Like I'd be praying and just not even know what to say and just weep with a kind of amazement of God's presence. When you feel that, even if you feel baffled by God's presence, lean in. It's normal. People who encounter God, it's normal to be baffled to not know what to do and to say, I don't know what to do. And you kind of baffle or even babble like Peter did. But the Bible promises that if you'll lean in, his spirit will take care of you. Hear these words from Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't even know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot even be expressed in words. You ever felt that? from encounter with God or from a devastating event in your life and you're like, I don't even know what to pray. Lean in in those times. God says, I got you. I'm here. Encountering God can be baffling. Number three, encountering God inspires all. Not all, like A-L-L, all, A-W-E. Verse six says, he said this because, as Peter said this, because he didn't really know what else to say. For they were all terrified. So Peter, James, and John were terrified. You'll notice this throughout Scripture. When God shows up, people are like, whoa! Right? Like, there's a kind of 
fear even of God. You may recall in the story of Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai. Y'all know the story where he went up to meet with God and God was giving him the Ten Commandments. It became the commandments for the people of Israel, our Ten Commandments. It said when he came down from being in the presence of God, he glowed or shone. I don't know if it was the same kind of thing that we see with Jesus here, but there was something that was like, whoo! So much so that just the, peop the people who just saw Moses having been in God's presence were afraid. Right? And so there's something that's natural to fear God because of his magnitude of his power. In fact, the Bible teaches in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the foundation for wisdom. So if you think you're smarter than God, you ain't going to get nothing. But it starts with you understanding God is so much more powerful, more everything than you can ever be. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And so it's right to be in awe of God, but we don't stay in that state and feel terrified. In fact, Jesus broke through that. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he's often saying to his disciples, fear not, because I am with you. And so the relationship we have with God through Jesus is one that helps us grow from that initial fear. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all have had that veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. Encountering God inspires awe. Number four. And this God affirmed Jesus is divine. Mark 9 verse 7 continues to say a voice from the cloud said this is my dearly loved son listen to him in other words he's got God's authority listen to Jesus and so we take what Jesus spoke and taught and did as authority of God and then later in this passage Jesus walked with the disciples and said what you just saw don't tell people until the son of man has risen from the dead Thus, the ultimate confirmation. Now, you argue, Jesus, well, everybody can be wise from moment to moment. But the ultimate proof that Jesus is God's son is he said, I'm going to die and rise from that or resurrect from that. And he did it. And so that is the ultimate revelation of God's divinity in Jesus. The reason God shows up, shows himself to people is in order that you might know that he is God. Right from those examples in the Old Testament where God showed up to the, the patriarchs of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. And then this encounter with God the Father and God the Son where Peter, James, and John. So that they might know he was God. And 
The reason God shows up in Scripture, when you read it, whenever you experience Him in worship, when you're experiencing in your prayer and your fasting and all the means of grace and the sacraments like Holy Communion, is so that you might know God is God. God Almighty. And when you see that and whenever your heart believes that, you're invited to put your faith in Jesus and be restored in relationship with God, to be restored and be stepwise going towards looking like that image that God created in you, which is like himself. Some of you have ex experienced the loss of fire. Right, we had a, one of our old churches in Leeds burn down. It's devastating. It wipes out. And, and in a lot of ways, sin wipes out what we were initially created to be. Right? We created an image of God and sin wipes that out almost like a home destroyed by fire. But even if the owner of the house or the building has insurance and gets the money to restore the home, rebuild, if they don't have the blueprint or an image of what it looked like or supposed to be built like, it's nearly impossible to build it back. And that's why it's so important for you to know the image in which you were created. As you're going on these, I put my faith in Jesus. I'm growing to be more like Jesus. It's to know Jesus in what God has revealed in Scripture. So you're like, yeah, I know I'm, this is the blueprint. God created me to be like Jesus. And in that, I can follow the right path. If we don't know what it is that we're being recreated or restored to, we may miss it. We go for you. To be made in the image of Christ. To do that, you must know the image of God. God revealed that in Scripture. Do you know the image of God the Father? Do you know the image of God the Son? And are you on the path with that objective in your life? To be recreated in the divine image of God. God affirmed that Jesus is divine. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the, the blessing of your revelation to people in theophanies where you've showed up and talked to and shown people who were initially terrified. God, we thank you for the blessing of that awe-inspiring experience and those who recorded that where we might know you through Scripture. God, I pray that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of our wisdom and righteousness. That you're taking us on with the goal of being recreated, being restored into the image. The divine image of Jesus. We grow to be more and more like him every day. In Jesus' holy power and resurrected name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love for you to visit us in person at 8.45 a.m. for modern worship or at 11 a.m. for traditional worship. If you would like to plan a visit, simply text the word CONNECT to the number 205-772-4906 and you'll be sent a link to get you started. Thanks again and God bless.